0: Hello, my name is Gary Hoppenstand. I'm a professor in the Department of English at Michigan State University. My favorite comic scholar is Julian Chambliss because of his tremendous critical insight into the culture and world of comics as well as his insight into the diversity that comics can play in the industry. Welcome to the latest episode of the Graphic Possibilities Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Graphic Possibilities Podcast. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Lonnie J. Ivy Brooks, who is an associate professor in communication at California State University, East Bay. Dr. Brooks is also a leading figure in the intersection of foresight and afrofuturism, that is, future studies and Afrofuturism. He's a co-principal investigator for the long-term and future thinkings and education project which is powered the integration of futures thinking into the communications curriculum. As a leading voice in Afrofuturism, particularly the innovative transformation associated with Afrofuturism 2.0, Puss contributes prolifically to our understanding of what Afrofuturism is through his journal articles, organizing conferences, and participating in exhibitions around the world, explaining and expanding on the idea of Afrofuturism. For this conversation, I was joined, as I always am in this season, by Nicole Huff and Sinclair Portis. This was recorded as a part of my IAH, that is Integrated Arts and Humanities, Afrofuturism course here at Michigan State University. We invited Dr. Brooks in, in part because we wanted to talk to him about his views on Afrofuturism as a future thinker and how it intersects very strongly with community practice. And a lot of his research, and the tools he's developing to sort of incorporate Afrofuturism into future thinking. It's great to hear him reflect on the impact of Afrofuturism as a movement. It's also great because of course, Dr. Brooks is one of the people featured in a new documentary called Afro the Transforming world of Afrofuturism that just recently produced and released with PBS. So this is a double dip in that regard. So take an opportunity to listen to this great conversation as Dr. Brooks lays out his views on futurism as a future practice. Thanks for listening. Uh, Bonnie Brooks is a full professor in communication and futurism. He's one of the few people who I've actually ever seen as their title uh, at Cal State East Bay. Uh, he's co executive producer of the Afrofuturism podcast and co author of Afrofuturism 2.0 The Rise of Astro Blackness. Also, um, a lead editor in Winnes Wakanda, Afrofuturism and Dark Speculative Futurity, a great special issue of the Journal of Future Studies from 20, 2019. He's also one of the organizer of the Black Speculative Arts Movement and co founder of the Afro Rhythms Future Group, which imagines decolonized futures through uh, kind of futurism gaming. Framework. He has many, many accolades, but I want to start out by um, why I always ask all of our speakers a question about definitions. Partly because, as I say, this is a a class-based justification for inviting people in, and I've often pointed out to students that there are many different definitions of Afrofuturism. This class actually starts out with a sort of examination of definition. But for students, I think it's always interesting to hear people define it. We actually have about three or four questions we wanna ask you. And I know you have some things you wanna show people, but if you would allow us to sort of ask those questions just because we're kind of keying them towards some of the concerns that students have in terms of their final paper. Uh, as I said, this final section of the class is about community. Afrofuturism, and I I suspect while we're going to ask you directly those questions, some of your presentation will reiterate those points, so it'll be an opportunity for us to get two two sort of answers in for students to process. Um, So my first question, and I'll ask the first question, then Nicole and then Sinclair. So how do you define Afrofuturism?
1: Well, one of the ways I define Afrofuturism is that you know combines science fiction and fantasy to reexamine how the future is currently imagined and to envision alternative futures based on the Black experience. And I also really kind of think of you know how the middle passage is re—we can re-narrativize the middle passage as a science fiction horror story. You know where millions of Africans were taken from their homeworld. In West Africa, and with the latest in modern technologies at the time, with bondage, you know, implements in place across, uh, taking these millions of African slaves across a vast interstellar Atlantic sea, and then land in an alien world, the Americas, where they could be killed for speaking their language, practicing their music, practicing and celebrating their religions. And in that sense, Africana peoples had to become hybrid innovators faced with immense erasure, the breakage of their lineage to tribes in Africa, to their homeland. And then on top of that, have the religion of Christianity imposed upon them. And what did they do? They took hymnals from Christianity, transformed them into spirituals. And those spirituals become the basis for envisioning the future, a future without slavery. And that becomes the imaginative gateway to so many other possibilities for the Black experience that are with us to this day, right? You know, so spirituals then uh, develop into the blues, develop into jazz, to rap music, to trap music, to house music. Every genre on the planet has black music in it you know and to this day you know our visions of the future infuse the global landscape so that's the legacy of afrofuturism is to really tap into and rediscover the undiscovered stories too because w.e.b du bois talks about that uh in his fictional instrument in science fiction that he did as a sociologist you know renowned sociologist that end of the 19th and early 20th centuries he created this instrument called the Megascope in a science fiction novel that looks for the undiscovered stories and so the idea is to leverage the mother load of our ancestral intelligence what i call the real ai of the black diaspora and unleash it and leverage it into the future so for me that really defines what afrofuturism is about because because of colonial erasure there are so many things that we keep rediscovering about ourselves that we didn't know beforehand and to become proud of that legacy and to flip it, leverage it into the future and imagine more for our peoples. And so I think that's what's so key about Afrofuturism, you know, and there's plenty of examples of that, right? Like even contemporarily, like the hidden, hidden figures. If you watch the film, hidden figures of the women, black mathematicians, computer scientists, engineers, engineers, that were charting the trajectory into space for white astronauts at NASA in the 1960s. Most people didn't know that that was happening until very recently, until you saw the film or maybe you even read the book. But that's a story of erasure, of a vision of the future that then gets erased and has to be rediscovered. And, you know, that to me is sort of at the core of what Afrofuturism is about.
0: Thank you. Nicole, go ahead. Yeah. So
1: what do you see as the link between Afrofuturism and community activism? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, well, I mean, you know, there's Aisha Wormsley's uh, poster or billboard, right, where it says there are Black people in the future. And just putting that post, that billboard up in Detroit created so much uh, ripple effects, you know, both backlash and both celebration, because I think that's what has to be uh told is that we do have a place in the future we have to claim our space in the future and that's directly linked to community activism and directly linked to the you know the purpose and goals of the black speculative arts movement that's the celebration of of the black imagination and that happens as a annual festival conference uh, at some point anywhere in the world right now you know especially in brazil which has the growing Largest growing chapter of the Black Speculative Arts Movement at the moment. Um, But um, that is so, you know, in addition to what I do, I also co founded the Community Future School at the uh, Museum of Children's Arts and 12th Street City Center in Oakland. And the Community Future School uh, trains cohorts of young people in high school to think intentionally about the future. We train them in foresight, in Afrofuturism. But not only afrofuturism we look at indigenous futurism and queer futurism and if you've seen the the new the latest wakanda film you can see a little bit more about indigenous futurism so we actually have asked them to create uh tasked them with creating a manifesto for oakland 2045 and to they're part of a project where they're going to be in the Oakland Public School System, I mean, library, that is, and actually do speak about Afrofuturism in different talks. So that's how we're getting youth involved in terms of community activism to kind of spread these visions of alternative futures that aren't just based on a Eurocentric point of view, but broaden the spectrum of what the future can be to, you know, that's more inclusive and liberating at the same time. So that's, you know, part of what community activism means to me, too, um, especially because, you know, we we're just at that tipping point in our nation where there's you know this fierce backlash to kind of keep try try to keep white supremacy in place, where there's a vast wave more you know most people can see the constraints of white supremacy as being as victimizing us all. So community activism plays a crucial role with Afrofuturism to really break wide open what our futures can be there's more to it and we can unpack that
0: i think sinclair has a question specifically about future studies and afrofuturism yeah so you talked about
1: teaching foresight and the different futurisms like queer futurism indigenous futurism so we were just uh wondering how does a afrofuturism approach shift traditional foresight or future studies so I'm I'm a research affiliate with a place a think tank called the Institute for the Future and they're based in Palo Alto. They've been around since 1968. They were founded by a man named Paul Barron, who was at the RAND Corporation in the 1940s and 50s and he actually created the um he's the grandfather of the, of the internet. You know, RAND as a as a as a civil defense think tank in those in the cold war era was thinking about well how can the us survive a nuclear war so he was thinking that our communication hubs were too too centralized in at and t so he thought well what if you could break up messages into into digital bits and then recombine them you know from one point to the other and that created the nodes of the internet he went to at and t with this idea they thought he was crazy he uh then produced it published it in um uh, defense Journals, uh the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Um, it had a different name at the time, took up his idea and created the first notes of the internet in 1968. At that same year, that's when he founded the Institute for the Future. Now, the Institute for the Future wanted to do more community-oriented work, but they had no black people, no people of color in their staff, and still didn't till like the late 90s, you know. So future studies has been such a kind of white oriented endeavor I mean every every white male gets to see themselves displayed on the screen as a white superhero you know from Buck Rogers on you know and so future studies has been very Eurocentric in many ways and uh, Afrofuturism helps to also say hey knock knock (laughs) you know we 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 can contribute to the future so even the institute for the future um it wasn't really until like 2000 that they were addressing community activism issues um in the neighborhood of el canto in san diego which i helped to produce uh visions of the future from community activists there but the institute for the future wasn't dealing with the black diaspora they were dealing with like visions of the future in india or china And it's like not here at home, really, um, in terms of the black diaspora. And so, you know, fast forward to 2018, and they're inviting me to do a talk on Afrofuturism for their their 10 year forecast retreat that they do every year. And um, it's the same for another sort for multiple think tanks in the future. Very few people have been futurist. Now that's changing. You know, but it's changing because Afrofuturism is forcing that issue. You know, we're saying, hey, (laughs) you know, and we've got more momentum um, to say we can we can train our people in the black of arts movement and other uh, outfits like it into thinking more intentionally about the future. And, hey, we have a whole cadre of futurists, even including our community future school. Those high school students are going to get certificates and strategic change and foresight. To help their communities create more cultural programming and um actually contribute to legislative agendas based on their visions of the future so you know we can actually funnel our visions of the future into legislative change you know now if the gop can do that <laughs> and and reverse roe versus wade we should be able to do something similarly and really dismantle white supremacy because it's a 500 year old conversation that doesn't serve anybody. It victimizes everybody. And it really just, you know, creates um, just isolation and just no forward thinking. So with Afrofuturism, we can actually, you know, I kind of see it the way that you create opportunities for people with disabilities in the design of roads and, and walkways and tools if you center Africana indigenous visions of the future, you can help the world globally. You know, as part of, you know, some of the most traditionally marginalized peoples on the planet, you can help everyone, you know. So I really think foresight is changing, um, but it's still the pace can go faster and we can (laughs) accelerate that change.
0: Well, I know you have some slides that you want to show, and I made it so that you can um, show your screen. So, please launch into those. And we'll we have about thirty thirty five minutes. I do want to give um, a chance to sort of like go through the Q and A and see if there are students with with questions. But if you want to um, show some things, I think that will sort of highlight some of the points you made in terms of like community activism and foresight. I think that would be great.
1: I always like to acknowledge um, the people I work with uh, as well. So this is the Afro Rhythm Futures Group. Uh, Myself, Ahmed Best, Jade Fabello. Ahmed Best, you know, he is an interesting fellow because he actually played Jar Jar Binks in Star Wars. His brother-in-law called me up one day, asked me, uh, told me that Ahmed was very interested in Afro Futurism and he'd love to talk to me. Uh, uh, And he said, by the way, next line was, by the way, he played Jar Jar Beings in Star Wars. So <laughs> he's a fantastic actor, theater director, and professor at USC, uh, University of Southern California. And, um, you know, three hours later, after talking with him, we created the Afrofuturist podcast. But we also work with another group called the Creative, uh, Creative Research Foundation called um, The Fathomers, and another group that helps us publish our game, Afro Afro-Rhythm, Rhythms from the Future, the Equitable Games Group. And we have other folks that have worked on the graphic design and card deck images that we have for our game. But you know, I always like to say, uh, join us on an Afrofuturism journey, going from what we call algorithms of oppression to envisioning Afro rhythms of liberation. You know, we are surrounded by algorithms in our everyday lives with just those small things in our pockets, uh, smartphones, and can we transform those algorithms of of oppression that you know want to keep us. On the screen, and actually usually have more male centric white visions in mind than they do for Africana and indigenous peoples uh how do how do we transform those into what we call afro rhythms of liberation that center us more so going from there, I always want to acknowledge that we are on the land and a great piece of well you know, nearby of the Hedonishone people or the Iroquois Confederation. I'm on the land of the Ohlone in the East Bay in Oakland, California. And um, that I, too, share Native American lineage. I'm a multi-eclectic person here, too. I'm like Jewish, Ukrainian, Black, Native American. I got it all. I check all the boxes. So, (laughs) but, you know, really kind of thinking when we talk about envisioning the future, um, too. There's, uh, from the Indigenous perspective, especially as well, there's this re- VR simulation called Bidabin. And in the Mohawk language uh, or know. B- language, it's where the future collides, the present collides with the past to create the future. And a director. Named Laura Jackson has envisioned what Toronto might look like in the future as a rewilded indigenous city, and it's really fascinating to think about that because, you know, most many Native peoples live outside of the reservations; they live in cities. And she said, "Well, you know, in Canada, cities are totally indigenous. Why can't they be indigenous in the future as well?" So she envisions. A way of rewilding toronto where you know you actually bring vegetation and the liveliness of 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 the countryside into the city and what would that mean for the future and she says you know thousands of years this landscape has been described and talked about in native languages that know it so intimately so that's just a taste of what that could be um so know the idea is you know we are still here as native speakers native uh uh native americans so i love this poster so just kind of giving homage to our native kin here as well but going forward i really want to talk about this concept of the rise of astral blackness for a minute too because i think it's at the core of what we of afrofuturism as well and on the left side here this is fantastic poster done by menzel Bozeman. For an exhibition in twenty, uh, 30, no, twenty fifteen, called "Unveiling Visions: The Alchemy of the Black Imagination," where you see a black mind exploding in multicolored hues with imagination. So it's a fairly um, wide contrast to what we might see in our TVs of brutalized black people or victimized black people, and it's really, you know, keying into the mind the celebration of the Black imagination. So Unveiling Visions uh, was done at the Schoenberg Center for Black Research um, in New York City. And it became the basis for the Black speculative arts movement that then uh, came about in, that, in about that same year, 2015. Now, the center image, the center image here, and hopefully you can see it, is a really fantastic art piece by Katana Wynn. It's called Suddenly Froze," But she did this amazing depiction of the mothership and the mothership is a powerful motif in black culture you know you can see it from um you know parliament funkadelic and their own homage to the mothership you know the, their mothership is actually in the smithsonian museum but um i had a chance to talk to parliament funkadelic the head of parliament funkadelic um george clinton uh just last year And I asked him, well, what does the mothership mean to you? Because it's such a potent symbol in their music. And he said, you know, for me, it means safety and creativity. And I just love that, you know? So the idea of the mothership is that it carries the, the mother load of Black diaspora and Africana knowledge. Now, even a tribe in Mali, the Dagon of Mali, have an origin story about their myths that they come from the Sirius B star system. Now you cannot see the sirius b star system without a telescope but astronomers have confirmed that that's indeed the sirius b star system that they are talking about now the idea that we come from a different world and may have you know blended or contributed knowledge you know that african tribes have this sort of tale of their world is so fascinating to me so the idea that we um, we're looking at the stars and peering into the fabric of science and time and space really speaks to how the mothership is this um, ancestral intelligence to unpack and uncover and recover from colonial erasure. And and then this uh, final panel on the right side is, this is by Tariqa Lewis, the former leader of the Black Panther Party. And she actually did a panel, a series of panels of murals when the Black Panther film came out in Oakland. And she says, welcome to Panther territory. The time is now. You know, here in Oakland, we call Wakanda, Okanda. And, you know, she just has these series of really great panels. One of them is, this is not a Marvel fantasy. You know, this is real for us. And uh, I just love that. At the time that I was creating the game, afro from the Future, with, a, with some co-designers of mine, these panels came up and for me it was just like whoa this is a powerful omen to our ancestral intelligence right here so i mean the black panther the black panther party in itself had visions of the future a 10-point platform where they were against uh police brutality for universal health education um for reparations um, against the vietnam war at the time um so the black panther party you know had a platform that to us wouldn't maybe not seem so radical today, but for the time it would seem incredibly radical. But for us, it's just like, yeah, <laughs> you know, let's do this. So, but it speaks to what the Reverend Andrew Rollins has coined as the rise of astro blackness. What that means is, and that's the logo for BSAN, the Black Specade of Arts movement the rise of astro blackness is about a person's black state of consciousness released from the confining and crippling slave or colonial mentality who becomes aware of the multitude and varied possibilities and probabilities within the universe and so to me it really speaks to how do we just become more aware and find our un, our undiscovered stories in our ancestral knowledge and intelligence and it really inspires me and so that was the part of the tagline and title of the book afrofuturism 2.0 the rise of astral blackness an anthology I contributed to in 2015. And so if we um, go forward, you know, this is where I've talked about this in the questions that we have, but Black people have always been futurists because we had to be. So Afrofuturism indeed, and and expanding that definition, aims to reclaim and transform the trauma of past atrocities against the Black and Afroqueer diaspora. And again, those spirituals that I talked about scholars call them sonic utopias visions of liberation and sustainability ancestral intelligence and staying connected to lands here and before and it's our real vibranium this is our vibranium from the black panther film right that that powerful metal that powered uh wakanda right that came from another world or came from outer space right this fantastic metal and this photo on the right i just love this photo by d adieme. Uh, where it's sort of like you can see sort of the Black diaspora landing in a new world and claiming it and bringing new possibilities forward. So again, there's no music like the one that we have created in the Black diaspora in the New Americas, right? There's 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 so many forms of culture that we created and ways of thinking that we created because we were had to be hybrid futurists so um and then let's see let me see if i can really change move this okay good <laughs> so you know the there's a thing called the congo cosmogram and this is really important because from the congo um tribe perspective um they have a vision of the future as well a vision of life where it's a life journey where the Inseke is the world of living and the impemba the world of our ancestors so in seki on the top level here in in Pemba below that but between them are what are called kalunga lines and that's where our ancestors meet us in the present to create the future so it's a whole cosmology about futures thinking here and if we go forward again w.b du bois had this idea of you know he was a foremost sociologist but also a science fiction writer too anyway this is called the megascope it's a beautiful illustration by Stacey Robinson of what um, W.B. Du Bois's instrument to rediscover the undiscovered stories could look like. And W.B. Du Bois wrote this book, um, this actual uh, series of science fiction tales called The Prince of Steel in 1908 to 1910. And uh, again, there's now a comic label called The Megascope with John Jennings, uh, who's the director of it and illustrator and it's bringing forth all these graphic stories graphic comic stories of these tales um, that you know point to our undiscovered stories really fantastic uh new label imprint from uh, abram's comics another important uh point that i want to get across before i go into some new work that i'm doing here too as well and before we get to the q a is um this idea that like radioactive a- isotopes across that we can trace across time there are there's a a word i've coined called afro types or afro topes that are black signals of the future that find and reclaim the traces of black cultural visions alongside erasures of those signals so when i talked about hidden figures that was a, one key example of that where you had a cultural vision of the future from these women you know on the right you see that lower figure the picture of the hidden figures of those women black engineers ast- um mathematicians computer scientists that had a vision of the future but it became erased um until recently and rediscovered so again this is a constant recurring theme what the job of afrofuturism is is to rediscover our our our, our undiscovered stories our lost stories and leverage them into the future so you know when we think of the black panther film Part of its role in afrofuturism, it does that, it recovers some of our lost heritage, um, makes us proud of what our black future could be too um, And again, you know the the uh, coming back to the definition of afrofuturism, combining science fiction and fantasy to re-examine how the future is currently imagined and to envision alternative futures based on the black experience. so that's part of that underlying definition uh, of afrofuturism. Now, um, again, Afrofuturism was celebrated just recently across the city of New York in February and March of 2022 at Carnegie Hall. Now, Carnegie Hall, if you know, you know, usually will do these kind of, uh, you know, uh, what they call high culture uh, concerts of, of 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 classical music and other genres. But this is the first time that Afrofuturism really dominated the landscape of New York City for two months, from February to March of 2022. So I had a chance to become part of that on the 10th floor at Carnegie Hall, uh, talking about Afrofuturism. But again, when we think about algorithms of oppression, um, there's a fantastic work by Sophia Noble, How Search Engines Reinforce Racism, gave me the idea to create afro from the Future as a game. Um, and, you know, the point of the game, which is a, it's a forecasting um, forecasting imagination game, is to get to how can we visualize alternative memories of the future in what uh, jake Dennigan and scientists call cognitive prosthetics to limbs in our mind we can grow our capacity to think more intentionally about the future in our mind uh, to really experience the future in terms of sound taste feel and smell experiential futures to heal ourselves and to heal others so in neuroscience research they've discovered that the same place where we have memories, the same place that we think about the future, so you know we actually when we look at in, ahead of us into a scene right in front of our eyes, we actually see more into it than is actually there. that points to our capacity to think about the future uh, more intentionally, and you know how do we heal ourselves and heal others? I love this particular particular portrait of Stacey Abrams from Georgia by the renowned artist, Natrice Gaskins, who uses AI technology to create these images of Black leaders and Black celebrities. And it's just this fractalization of her face and hands here that are just really point to uh, African fractals, in in fact, uh, which, you know, if you see the colorful textiles, those are African fractals that actually, um, you know, made their way through Europe uh, to European mathematicians who thought that in these recursive loops of African textiles, they had found God. <laughs> and that in recursive looping actually led to the idea of uh, zeros and ones to create our modern-day computing. So, you know, we can actually trace the origins of modern-day computing to African textiles, um, which is fascinating. This is our how our game looks in Afro-Rhythms from the Future. Um, beautiful uh, artwork by Alan Clark and Paul Itay. But just to give you a little taste of the game uh, quickly is we combine, we create a future. So what is a, a future? We create a future with various tensions. Like what does a future look like with more Black storytelling and less white supremacy? And in that future, we populate it with objects from the future. And we take an inspiration object, like an inspiration card, like Angela Davis, and an object like shoes, and we smash them together. And we came up with this, um, I don't know if we can see it, I'm going to try to, uh, my cursor's kind of stuck here, but we came up with, uh, someone came up with Angela Davis shoes. So what if you had Angela Davis shoes, you put them on, and as you were walking down the street, a pop-up of her holographic image comes up to you, and she guides you through the history of the Black Panther film as you're walking down the street. It could be in Oakland, maybe you're in another city, and she's just telling you about the history and legacy of the Black Panther Party and its future. So. Uh, that's that's the title, Walk with Angela Davis. Um, again, also, Rinaldo Anderson did this fantastic uh, exhibition around the metaverse, around virtual reality. Um, you know, the metaverse is a kind of dystopic term founded, created by Neil Stevenson in Snow Crash, that um, famous um, science fiction book that actually really went into depth on virtual reality. The next year, another a Black scholar came up with this idea of The pluriverse that respects our innovation and non demonic approach that embraces our full humanity. So it kind of lifted up the metaverse to the pluriverse, and I like to call the metaverse the pluriverse nowadays, because I feel like that's really, you know, it's away from a Mark Zuckerberg version, vision of the future that feels very limited in its scope to the pluriverse that really includes our full humanity more. in the work that I've been doing recently, before we go to q and A, I I just wanna say, we have collaborated, we collaborate with a group called the Origami Air Company. Um, they're a virtual reality experience company based in San Diego. They in turn work, and we work with the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination at UC San Diego. And we collaborated on a city that, a town that takes place eight years in the future in virtual reality on the Alt-Space VR platform. That's called Afterville. And that's the way Afterville looks right now. It's a town that's that people can collaborate in together. And this came about during the, the pandemic. And so we also have uh, an archival library that's part of Afterville. And we've been talking about well, what does the meta plural multiverse look like in the future? So they actually gave us our own ship. They launched projects in. Virtual reality airships, and our ship is called the Air Afro and we actually debuted our ship um, in an exhibition we did for Juneteenth this past year called the Arrival of the Mothership, and we actually played a quest game to uh, have the Mothership come and arrive on Earth again to partner with us in solving issues of climate change and and looking at different issues of the future and especially um, anti-blackness and anti and and promote anti-racism so this is part of our 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 arrival of the mothership that we're doing here that's a little bit of the sounds accompanying it um to that heralded the arrival of the mothership so we have these dancing figures uh it was really amazing and we're going to share um more of this in this coming year um, but that's our that's our uh, air after ship with the you know fire behind it. That's the mothership approaching us in Afterville too, and um, we did a song about it. You know, we actually transformed one of the spirituals. In, um, what's it called? Sweet swing low, sweet chariot. We transformed that into swing low, sweet mothership, and uh, we had actual composer uh, Joe Wolf who works with Alicia Keys and Pink. He actually put some music to it, too. It was amazing. He was uh, collaborating with us in, the, in this past year. And um, here's a little bit of the sounds. You know, I'm not going to play the whole thing, but it's just to, to hear oh. I
0: can hear it.
1: objects the jewel that we put them together and it created this beautiful sound. And again this is um our ship the whole thing but just for you to get a taste of it. that Uh, you know the idea of the mothership coming and bearing you know another aspect of our ancestral intelligence with us based on the whole Africana lore of the mothership to begin with that's my avatar um, welcoming you aboard our ship and this is the entrance to our ship that picture in the middle should not be there but (laughs) this is uh, the way our ship looks it's it's so our ship is meant to be a hub for Afrofuturism. We have an exhibition of Name Brown, a local artist in Oakland, of his Afrofuturist art aboard our ship. We also have a game room um, where we're translating our card deck uh, and game algorithms from the future into virtual reality. Um, that's Name's uh, avatar right there on the right. Um, that's a look at our game being put into Afrofuturism. That's Ahmed. That's avatar on the right and so this is what our game room looks like we also have a look at this is more of name brown's artwork Uh, there's a particular image i love called what is your black because you know the the diasporic the black diaspora experience uh entails that uh you know each of us as black people have our own lineage and version of the black experience and you know what is your black is different globally right so that's important to note. We are not a homogenous people, um, but we have very similar lineage and uh, perspectives too. So again, um looking at that, you know, I did a mid-journey portrait of what Afrofuturism Community Future School might look like. Mid-journey is an AI art generator. You prompt it with a, a, a text or paragraph of, fra- of phrases. And it came up with what looks like one of my students in the Community Future School, Elise Brown, (laughs) so I was like, oh, my God, so, but just looking at, you know, the the markings on her face and hair and bracelet, like what could those, you know, mean in terms of some kind of magical or augmented reality powers, you know, that she might have uh, in tapping into our ancestral intelligence and into the future. Uh, this is an ancestral bracelet she came up with, too, and uh, that Elise Brown, one of my students, came up with that you could, uh, you know, tap it. It's supposed to be a therapeutic for generational trauma and lost connection to finding, you know, finding our reconnecting us to our ancestors uh, due to that lost connection in slave- slavery. So it's like a guide that you could have and wear. So that's part of what our game does. It generates, you know, possible prototypes, actual prototypes that could be used in the future centering us so we're work, our latest project is that we're working on what we call the astral uh, egalitarian virtual network uh, a union of africana indigenous diasporans, where we're claiming black space in the virtual reality pluriverse um, it's actual um, a, a, a way of playing around with what does what could reparations look like and we play around with these things in virtual reality to bring them into the embodied world of ourselves too outside of virtual reality um, this is another room that we have called the Sand Room, um, where we take our prototypes and then we kind of fashion new new, new types of objects and even cities. So what could a city of Wakanda or Okanda look like in the future in our sandbox? So we call this the Sandbox Room. Um, so that's, you know, what I wanted to share with you. Most of all, um, what we've been doing in our latest projects now in virtual reality. and. So glad I could share that with you.
0: Now I really appreciate that in part because I recognize the questions that we have for you and the question in q and I think kind of overlap with what you were what you were where you were going to show and and I was correct so I feel very smart right now. <laughs> but uh, a question that we we were going to ask you was about institutions and a question from the students is about you know how how could it future teachers use Afrofuturism ideas? And how could you educate more people through Afrofuturism ideas? And I think at some level, you kind of allude to it through the work that you do because you virtually make these worlds and then people get to experience them. But if you could talk a little bit more about, you know, what what does it mean to have these kind of institutional interventions right now to move towards the Afro future?
1: Yeah. So, we actually had a festival. Well, it was a, a we played our game, Alphorithms of the Future, at SUNY Buffalo in Buffalo. And it was like a homage to the massacres that happened at Top Market there, too. You know, the very idea of a white supremacist guy coming in uh, and doing that was horrible. And in that wake, how do we recover? How do we heal ourselves? Into a better future where we are stamping out white supremacy, where we are eradicating it. And so part of this is to do these types of interventions to give people not only hope, but uh, uh, agency that they can unleash their radical imaginations to create uh, new types of objects uh, and artifacts from the future that can be built now that center us. Uh, center our desires and wishes as African indigenous peoples of color. And I think that's really important. So um, we recently got a Robert Woods Johnson's Foundation grant for their health futures program uh, to the Community Future School. And that was, you know, about, you know, $300,000 over the next three years. It's a kernel of our, of our funding for that project. And what it does is it allows us to um, create a, replicable, uh, a repeatable replicable model for the community futures school nationwide, and that's what we're working on. We're actually uh, working with Ronaldo Anderson, um, the co-founder of the Black Spectative Arts Movement, um, and we want to take, we're actually going to go on a on a journey to Ghana in the last week of May. Um, and also begin our journey in speaking with French-speaking nations like Cameroon uh, and others to implement, well, what de- what could a community futures school look like in the African context? And they're eager for it. There's a whole stream of thought called New African Thought that um, Rinaldo Anderson actually went to a uh, Black Spectative Arts uh, Movement festival in Cameroon. And the idea was, you know, looking at new African thought and, you know, they're going to take Afrofuturism and, and make it their own, right? They're going to they're recontextualize it. It may be called Afrofuturism 3.0 or some version of what they have in mind, right? But, you know, how can we translate the community futures school um, into the African local context? And I think that's really important too. So they'll they'll take it, do what they want with it and make it something else, you know, perhaps hopefully. I mean, I think, really, there's so many different terms for the world, word Afrofuturism. There's Nnedi Okorafor's African Futurism. There's Quantum Futurism, right? Quantum Black Futurism. So, you know, I I say our English language it has a scarcity of terms about the future. Let a million terms bloom for what the future can be from our context. Because, you know, as, as Noam Chomsky, the linguist, talks about uh, we have the capacity to create a sense that's infinitely long, which means that we have the capacity to think of an infinite number of ideas. And I think that's where Afrofuturism is another kind of linguistic augmente- augmentation to our beings that we have at our disposal now.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate that. And one of the ways that I think community is centered in your work and really the work of a large number of, of futurists is they put a lot of emphasis on this being a grassroots effort, that this is work that is not, strictly speaking, controlled by the academy. And this goes back to your the the kind of some of the work that you alluded to, community schools and some of the traditions that seem central to the history of Oakland. You think about something like the Black Panther Party, which put a lot of emphasis on community education, community support. And so I I wonder, you know, when you think about this in terms of institutional uh, sort of communal narratives, what are the mechanisms that allow for the everyday person to participate? Is it just simply that it is fantastic and operating outside the sort of established norm? Or is there some particular mechanism that you point to and be like, this is the reason why the people are so important to the movement?
1: I think... Uh, You know, it really comes down to, you know, when we talk about futures thinking and we look for signals of the future, usually we look for signals in the social, technological, environmental, economic, political, but actually signals are coming from art, you know, comics, popular culture. um, They're coming from artistic genres. So the aesthetics of the future are just as important as everything else, because I don't want to live in a gray jacket Maoist future. You know i want to live in a future that's multicolored and vibrant and so really uh you know everyone has the capacity to generate art to generate images and so i think this is where we go to where we use um comic comics as a portal to the future we use art as a portal to the future we use gaming as a portal to the future because gaming actually in in jay mcgonigle's book called super better Uh, has been shown to help people heal their individual and collective trauma so we can you know and we are actually starting uh studies of how our game can do that for our our communities too so I think it's so important to look at the grassroots uh and look for those mechanisms that allow entryway in now we actually have a community of the mong community they don't speak english very well you know i mean you know that it's it's not their first language and uh we're going to be doing the community future school with with a predominantly mong population uh asian speaking asian uh mi- minority called the mong in oakland and you know that's going to be a challenge but we're going to be figuring it out well how can we make this hybrid community future school using their local traditions uh, and and I think that's so important because the the dream of the community future school is part of a larger vision that of um, you know I talked with Rachel Wick, the um, senior board member of the Blue uh, Blue uh, Shield Foundation, where we were talking about well what would it mean to have a regional uh, network of the imagination in California where you had communities from Latinx to to Asian to Black to LGBTQ that annually uh, showed their visions of the future as communities that can then be treat- translated into cultural programming, legislative agendas. And that's actually taking off the, off the ground right now. With the, We have a commission in California called the California 100, and it's, uh, its aim is to look 100 years into the future for California. And so we're linking up with them with our community future school and other networks in, this, in becoming nodes and actually creating this right now. A regional network of the imagination that's going to be celebrated at a youth summit in spring in sacramento the capital of california and uh and 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 we're going to be there we're going to be playing algorithms in the future so it's coming into being uh at this grassroots community level and i think that's very exciting
0: i think it's really interesting to hear about the ways that you're sort of taking the work to these sort of civic communal spaces I always like to try to make parallels for the students. And I would argue one of the ways that the work that you're doing is something they might've heard of, like you hear about students partic- participating in um, Model UN or SIMSOC or these sort of imagining communities, imagining society situations, which are generally understood to be very sort of like important leadership, ideation, structural sort of like training around how to cooperate, run an organization, run institutions. And this is no different than that, but since the idea is inherently liberatory, it it seems jarring, but I would point out that as as we talk about futurism all the time, there's nothing about futurism that requires you to be black. It's really about a kind of liberatory vision that is born of a people who are marginalized, be it black, brown, um, LGBTQ, who understand the system is unfair and have thought through systems that would be more fair, right? Because they would be safe and therefore everybody would be safe. And ultimately yeah. the implication here is that by imagining these things, you you actually start to see how they could come to the being. And that's, that is often, you know, I think the most difficult question for anyone to handle regardless of how much they know about futurism, how do you get to that place where it's real? Because it is real in an imaginary landscape, but that bridge to the, the real world, this seems the part that is so fantastic. And when you are doing, the, doing these things with community school or having people play the game, what is your experience with that, that crossing from the purely imaginary to the real
1: well, I think um, one thing that occurred at the Community Future School, the students there also do what are called porch talks. They're meant to address issues uh, concerning the community from racial divides um, and bringing racial uh, conciliation to, reconciliation together. But they also wanted to address their experience of COVID uh two and trauma and experience of of that anxiety and 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 collective mental trauma that they've been going through as teens and so at a porch talk we played the game and what i was amazed at what was occurring was they they wanted to address uh trauma and healing and they created an artifact called the erica baidu journal erica baidu is a famous african singer and uh and so that as you were playing as you were journaling the pen would help heal the trauma that you were writing about. and But what really struck me was that the this group of young women, predominantly men, and and a few men, uh, were helping their peers that don't really normally speak to articulate their terms of the future. That's what I thought was magical about what was happening, was that there was this camaraderie to help lift up folks to and to enable them to articulate their voices which i think is so key to afrofuturism and to this whole project is to how do we find voice for the future um you know and and the california 100 commission for example has 45 student interns that they're um you know having having to do a manifesto for the future of california as well actually write up a manifesto um so what I think about, which is so key here, is really finding voice, and um, and when they when they start generating prototypes at the games that we play, they get into it. You know, we we also played with the uh, innovation fellows from the Stanford uh, Design School, a program that brings students from around the country, college students from around the world, and they were just into it. They were building like whole cities and maps and just objects in the future so this whole point that we have agency to generate um prototypes that we also work with google and we're working with their cloud division in fact early next week we're playing a game with their cloud division and we're going to help them center africana and indigenous perspectives and the algorithms that they create and the projects that they do and that's really important in a way it's like we're getting closer to the heart of the algorithm that. You know uh is at the heart of our our devices you know things that we use every day so you know how do we really make this transition to a post a post uh a new society that comes after white supremacy is over with that we have a new society where people can feel more liberated you know and and you know it's hard to see now but it was hard to see that slavery could end too you know um th- i think we just have to have a more creative expansive vision to say that folks do not have to be impoverished they can ha- have universal health care they can have uh liberated identities where you can go to work and you can feel like you can express yourself fully so i think that's really important
0: i think that's a, a great place to to stop um lonnie i i've heard you speak before and obviously when you're talking about the future, you could you could speak forever. Uh, so much there's so much potential uh, in in what what you're doing. I will end it though by calling attention to the ways that your work really resonates with some of the structural concerns that seem to unite everyone um, who deals with Afrofuturism: uh, the understanding of these sort of legacies, how they're institutionalized, the importance of a kind of break in that system where it comes from uh, the importance actually of activism and, and listening to the community as a vehicle for imagining futures, these are recurring themes in your work. And of course you're reading for today, cruelty and after futurism calls attention to that same thing. So there's there's a way here that the work that you're, you're talking about and you kind of demonstrate it really emphasizes uh, a kind of critical review of the state That got us in where we are and what are we hoping for for the future those ideas that we're hoping for are universal ideas they're not quote-unquote black ideas right they are ideas for everyone but they are mindful of the way the system has failed the the weakest the most defenseless the the least powerful right and and so this is when african becomes its most provocative it's because it's asking those people at the very bottom, what would it take for you to be free? And what would that system look like? But any kind of careful consideration really emphasizes if that system comes into being, no one is unfree there. Everyone is made better, right? Like, this is a recurring theme for Afrofuturism. It's a recurring theme, especially when people are out in, in, out in the streets, whether why they're advocating for such a powerful vision, like they really see the potential for liberation. They see the potential for safety. And if you don't remember anything related to, to many times we've talked about this, remember that. Like at the end, the future that we're talking about, everyone is better. Right? Everybody's better. Right? So like there's that's there's, there's that joke. If you see a bunch of black people in a place where well, they must be plotting the revolution. Well, that revolution doesn't necessarily mean that, like, you know, horrible things are going to happen to white people. It might just be like, hey, we're just going to stop people getting shot randomly. Hey, you know, everyone's going to have free education. Everyone gonna have, you know, food to eat. Like, everybody have a house. None of that is bad, right? Like, you, you just assume something bad is going to happen. It's because you feel guilty. But you don't need to feel guilty, right? You don't need to feel guilty. Yeah. I just like to point that out, right? Like, you don't need to feel guilty. So <laughs> I'll end it with that. Thank you, Lonnie. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you are a super busy man and that's super meaningful for me to have the opportunity to share your insight with students. They always walk into this class. I feel not quite knowing what they're going to get into. And, <laughs> they, you know, everyone who stays to the end, I, I always admire that because like, you don't got to, <laughs> you don't got to. So I appreciate that.
1: Well, thanks so much for inviting me. and. Uh... And having me here i am just uh honored to be here and share this with you all and to know what you're up to as well so thank you uh is
0: there a website that you would send yeah. students to
1: oh yeah i can put that in the chat right right now it's um it's afro mm-hmm, ww you can just put afrorhythms.com that's a short okay uh, there and that will give you access to seeing the demo of our game and we're actually relaunching our website uh by the beginning of the year
0: afro rhythms yeah afro i'll actually put that in um our our d2l so that people get an opportunity to check it out
1: oh fantastic all right okay
0: i will i will end it there thank you so much Hello, my name is Leonora Paula. I'm a professor in the English department at Michigan State University. My favorite comic character is Storm from the X-Men because she kicks some ass. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Graphic Possibilities podcast. Don't forget to read some comics.